Another long weekend. Hey, you know, it's not a weekend. Why don't we just declare a perpetual weekend here? Oh, hey, listen, though, would you please set that up in there, please? Uh, my uh, patriotic music, you know, cut one in there. Now, hold it there for a minute now. Uh, I, I, uh, I particularly appreciate, uh, personally, I particularly appreciate the summer for a special reason. I think uh, summertime, of course, is the silly season. Did you did you ever hear of a man named Orville J. Woodsill? Well, Orville J. Woodsill was a man who ran for mayor of the city of New York in the 1890s. Orville J. Woodsill. Well, Orville J. Woodsill ran for mayor and narrowly was defeated. He ran. Uh, there were several other candidates, but Orville did pretty well, Orville J. Woodsill. The day after the election, Orville displayed his true colors. He lost, remember. He walked out of his house, stark jaybird naked, with a, uh, with a pillowcase over his head in which holes had been cut, singing the Star-Spangled Banner. Well, they finally threw the net over Orville, and he spent the remaining years of his life in an insane asylum out on Long Island. Well, now, we could celebrate the narrow escape that New York had in not electing Orville J. Woodsill to mayor. Just think of what a fantastic mayor he would have been. I mean, uh, this is uh, the kind of non-event that we can celebrate, that New York can, uh, you know, all get out and, and wear Orville J. Woodsill uh, pillowcases over your head, you know, and, uh, you know, sing the Star Spangled Banner, and it'd be kind of an 1890s thing, get a band out and give out beer and stuff. Now, this is the kind of... <laughs> have you ever attended a, 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 a local community a folk celebration of that kind? Well, my favorite one, of course, uh, is, is one that occurs early in the spring when the buzzards return to Ohio. Yes, they do. They return on a certain day in March, and I've attended it. And the crowds gather on the, uh, on the hills, and they wait for the first buzzard to come in over the horizon. Nobody knows why these buzzards come to this town, but they do. And everybody starts singing, when the buzzards return to Gilead, Ohio. And uh, they do. They, they, and the people now come from miles around, and even the, you know, such emissaries of the culture as Edward Newman attend the return of the buzzards to Gilead, Ohio. So you can build a little thing out of nothing if you want to. For example, the residents of uh, certain areas of Greenwich Village can celebrate in the spring the return of the first cockroach. Uh, well, of course, that would be hard to celebrate since they're year-round residents, wouldn't it? <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> but the cockroach does come out in a summer plumage in the summertime. <laughs> and by the way, did you see that commercial uh, on... Uh, on TV of, of, uh, for this roach spray. Yeah, and there's a commercial, there's a, uh, there's a, there's a, there's a character, in, it's a cartoon, of course, it's animated, and there's a character in a tricorn hat waving a, a, a saber, and he's waving a flag with the other feeler there, and he, he refers to himself as Roach Pierre, leading the uh, Roach Revolution. Didn't you see that one? You haven't seen that one? He says, I, Roach Pierre, declare the revolution of the Roach people. 
And <laughs> they're attacking this giant. I kind of like the phrase Roach Pierre. I don't know why. I mean, you know, little things come out of the tube once in a while that are worth noticing. And whoever came up with that phrase Roach Pierre is not bad. And, of course, he is, he is uh, unfortunately doomed to disaster. That when they... Uh, when the, uh, they stormed the gates, did you see this? A whole, whole crowd of them, all wearing tricorn hats and hollering how long and all that stuff, you know. They've even, they've even got tumbrils they're bringing, you see, to to uh, carry away the residents of the house that live in there away, I guess, to, for beheading. And uh, suddenly the door slams open, and there stands this gigantic, uh, this gigantic aerosol bomb of raid, you know, raid. And they go, oh, help you, oh, oh, and it shoots it at them. And in that ends the, the uh, valiant, and I might say highly uh, colorful, uh, revolution of Roach Pierre and his cohorts. Uh, they should have had one roach sitting there knitting. You know, <laughs> that would have been kind of groovy. But there you are. Uh, do you have any uh, spots in there for us? So hold it there for a minute though, while we while we get ready here. Just a minute here. i got to get the cop. Oh, yeah, the copy, the copy, the copy. Uh, have you figured out a way how to stay cool this summer? Mm. I always start out with it. I never thought of wine as something to stay cool with. Have you, Jerry? You know, there's a thing called a wine cooler. But you th- drink three or four of those, and your, uh, uh, you're, you're, uh, let's put it this way, your gravity begins to rise. <laughs> it is a fact. But anyway, they say with a chilled bottle of red Beaujolais wine, you won't care anyway, ultimately, whether it's hot or not out. You'll be living, friend. Wait, this is the note I like. It's bad writing, but a good sound. This is W.O.R. New York. As if you were fooled. Using too much sugar in your iced tea and iced coffee? Oh, get sweet and low. Sweet and low, thick sugar substitute. It's featured at all fine food and drug stores. And now, one more little poker to do. Well, let's keep that to the People love a good commercial now and then. We'll save this later on so they can, uh, yeah. Or can you hardly wait? I tell you. Although I, I personally, uh, uh, you know, somebody asked me, in a letter here the other day, it says, uh, Shepard, you know, you have never hardly ever talked about any graduations you have been involved in as a participant. Well, I've graduated from several institutions. Yes, that's true. I concede I have. I've graduated from things in the Army. Have you ever done that? You ever heard of an Army graduation? Well, guys that have never been in the Army don't even think of people graduating in the Army. They don't, they don't think what this is like. They, uh, they, it, it, I, I find that most people's view and knowledge of the Army, that is, unless they've been in, is monolithic. They think everybody's just in the Army. I don't have no idea what they think they do in the Army. They sort of mill around. They're in the Army. And they, they, they think they keep peeling potatoes or getting up early <laughs> and walking around marching and hollering at each other, so they think the Army is. Have you notice that? Isn't that the way they think? They don't realize that almost every job in the Army requires sometimes as much as two years of work in a school to learn. They think, you know, the Army is a place where clods are. But actually, many are 
called and damn few are chosen when it comes to really the top spec schools. You'll agree. And when you get your MOS, you have an MOS? Right. Uh, when you get your MOS, it's the equivalent of getting your degree. Well, there were 36 of us who had been drawn by the great Army classification system, all kinds of uh, computer cards and all kinds of tests and all kinds of uh, profiles, and et cetera, et cetera, uh, coupled with uh, civilian experiences and all. We were all drawn together, and we sat in a classroom. Suddenly, I'd never known any of these guys before. It was the beginning of a whole epoch. Thirty-six guys sitting around in a classroom, and up up at the front of the room, and we've been pulled from all places. Guys, some guys came from places like Taiwan. Other guys were brought uh, from places like Frankfurt, Germany. Yeah, all kinds of places. We're sitting there, all kinds of curious ranks. They'd applied for this training, <laughs> and uh, picked. Well, now when you're picked for something like that that you've applied for. Uh, there's a feeling of unbelievable elation because you don't think you'll ever win anything in the Army. As is, is true in civilian life. I mean, uh, you always think you might win, but you never really think you're going to win. You know what I mean. It's an ambivalent thing. And so the day that I signed up for this thing, which was a highly respected plum to get into this school, I did it out of desperation. And you know why? I was at the top of a 37-foot telephone pole in a signal corps school. The wind was howling past me, and I was trying to put a crossbar on it, and I had my, I had my climbing equipment on, and down below was this sergeant uh, who was in charge of the pole line construction school that I was going through, and he was, he was, he was standing down below and howling up at all of us. Come on, you guys! Come on now! Ain't nothing being scared of! But that pole ain't no higher than maybe a three-story building. Now, come on! Have you ever hung out in space with the wind blowing and you got a pair of climbers, you know what these climbing irons are, dug into a pole that's about, oh, you know, yay, about eight inches around, and the wind is blowing and you got your hands loose and you're leaning back in your climbing safety belt and some sergeant is telling you, don't worry about it. It's no higher than a three-story building. And you look down there, and you can see the pole waving, moving back and forth. And, and this, this, this uh, field, you know, that's something else uh, that the Army does give to people. It gives them a taste of something that most of them have never had before, and they never lose it after that. But I always had taken things like telephone poles for granted. Do you ever think of telephone poles, Jerry? No. You just walk on, you see him. That's all. Oh, every one of those telephone poles, guys climb up them at the risk of life and limb. And they climb up those poles in devilish weather. Well, it just so happened that the day that I was at the top of that telephone pole, it was February. February. And it had been sleeting for three or four days before. And then the temperature had dropped. And now all around the ground is frozen solid with a hard sheet of glare ice. And the wind is blowing little tiny BBs of, of ice into your skin, your eyeballs. 
and the temperature is dropping. And at the top of the pole, as you climb higher, the wind gets higher and higher. The higher you go, the more wind you feel. Until finally at the top of the pole, with the pole moving back and forth in the wind, they, they, with the wind factor and the chill factor going, it must have been like 50 below up there. And I'm inching my belt up slowly, one after the other, when suddenly, just as I get to the top, and I'm holding this crossbar. You've seen these crossbars? Well, a guy, when you're up on the top of this thing, you've got the, you've got to bolt that cross, crossbar. This is part of the trading. Bolt that crossbar to that pole, and at the same time, fasten the insulators on it and cinch it tight. And I've got all these tools hanging on me, wire cutters, uh, all kinds of signal core equipment, great uh, uh, ohmmeters hanging on me. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the, 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 uh, the test phones with the clip, the heavy shielded phones, and I'm hanging at the top of this thing. And the wind is blowing, and I could feel this crossbar beginning to spin me around. I was getting what they call the, the gyroscopic effect. Another sharp blast of wind I might have taken right off, straight up in the air, you know, like a, gyros like a, like a gyroscope or a, or a helicopter or something. I'm hanging on this thing, and it's moving me back in the belt. I can hear the belt creaking, and the wind is making this pole move back and forth. And, and uh, next to me is a guy who came from Tennessee, Nash. I remember Nash in, in, in my pole line construction uh, class, if it can be called that. Uh, it, was, it was sheer hell. We'd go marching out into the... You see, and and they, they, they particularly picked bad weather. They did, because this was part of what we would face if we were going to go into pole line construction. I mean, you know, after all, they don't, uh, they don't stop fixing the telephone lines just because it's wet and raining out or because the snow has come down. No way. In fact, that's when they fix them more than anything else, right? So... I see Nash over there hanging on the top of his pole. We're about maybe 40 or 50 feet apart, and the guy off to my right is hanging on his. There's a whole crowd of us in this great forest of denuded poles. It looked like a looked like a forest that had been hit by some strange breed of locusts that ate all the branches off. There were like a hundred poles, maybe a thousand, in this this bleak field with the wind sweeping down out of the Ozarks. And I look off to my left there as I'm hanging out to this crossbar for dear life, and the sergeant's walking around on this red-headed sergeant from Tennessee is walking around down and he's an ace pole line man. This guy went up and down poles like a monkey. Incredible. I mean, the guy could go, he, he'd, say, he'd say, you guys, you guys, you guys think this is tough, huh? Going up on them irons? Well, I'm going to show you something. He'd go up without irons. And then shoop, he'd slide down. My God. You, you, once you have been in a pole line construction school, you never doubt Darwin. Man has descended from the monkeys. Now, if you, if you find it uh, difficult to climb, that's only because you ain't been doing it lately. Give a little practice, and you can climb pretty well. And uh, poor old Nash is hanging on the pole next to me, <laughs> and the wind is howling. Now, I'm doing this all to demonstrate to you why I signed up for this school. You can understand. It's a moment of desperation, but at this time, I'm hanging on, you know. The wind is screaming by, and suddenly I hear this from the distance. I, the wind was blowing. I hear Nash, ah! and I see him swirl around, and he, he catches, and he is now, his, 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 uh, his cutters, his, his climbers have cut out. That's a phrase they use, by the way, cut out. When, you're, when your climbers cut out, that means you're about to descend rapidly. Well, his climbers had cut out, and Nash did the worst thing he could do. 
Uh, we had been instructed for weeks, and if you if your claim is ever cut out, you only do one thing. What do you do? I'll tell you what you do, Beth. You push away. <laughs> you do not grab that pole. Uh, you push away, and you just trust to luck. Well, now there's a reason for this. And I'll tell you why there's a reason for it. Because you're on a pole that's made out of wood, right? And and you're up at the top there. And when your climbers cut out like that, you're going to descend. Now, that belt that you've got around you is not a safety belt. It's a work belt. That's not there to keep you from getting hurt. Or did you know that? That belt is so that when you get up to the top of the pole, you can snap your belt on and lean back and it work. Well, the minute that that thing breaks out, when your cutters or rather your climbers cut out, that, that belt is going to do nothing but keep you next to the pole. It's not going to keep you from falling. Now, what happens if you fall right down a pole? Well, I'll tell you what happens, friend. I have been known guys in the signal corps and guys who climb poles to have been gutted from one end to the other with slivers as long as 15 feet. Yes, it's an awful thought, isn't it? So, I can remember when we're all standing here, before we even clumb up them, them poles, and I'm going to use the expression that was used in the, in the yeah, you clumb up them poles. I'm not, don't, don't write me and say my language is going to hell. I'm just, I adapt the language of the time. And so, I remember this sergeant who was a fantastic pole climber walking around in front of us, and he said, I'm going to tell you this, when you clumb up them poles, and if your if your climb is cut out, if your iron's cut out, there's only one thing you do: you push away from that that pole fast. I don't want to see nobody hung on that pole. You got hung up on that pole, and you was in trouble. And I don't want to have nobody hung up on a pole. Now you you push away fast. You climb up that pole, and that was drummed into us hour after hour. Well, what the hell did Nash do? The wind is blowing, and I hear, ah! And I look, and I see Nash's legs out like at right angles from the pole. Obviously, his climbers are not in the pole, see? And I see those two spikes sticking out. They're about three or four inches long, you know? And Nash is hanging by his arms on the top of the pole. <laughs> and he is slowly sliding down. Well, as he slowly slides down, you can hear this yelling and hollering, and, and, and the sergeant below says, all right, Nash, push away, push away, Nash. Well, Nash ain't going to push away. He ain't going to do that. So he's hanging on the poles, and he's slowly sliding down, and the sergeant goes running up the pole. He's got his climbers on. He just goes running up like a monkey. You never saw anything. And he's got Nash by the foot. He's holding them up. <laughs> well, I want to tell you, I don't, I don't want to belabor the point, but there was a moment where the entire company of pole line construction climbers suffered a complete company panic. Not one guy, but all of us. Everybody sees Nash hanging like that. Well, I says, to hell with this. I started to climb down. I'm going to go down, see. Well, here I am. I didn't think in terms of getting rid of the crossbar, which I should have done. I should have thrown the crossbar off. I got the crossbar, and I started climbing down. Inching my belt down with one hand, holding the crossbar with the other. Well, I get about... Five feet from the bottom, I'm making it, see, and I'm getting this feeling of relief. I'm making it. When all of a sudden, my left climber cuts out. I mean, I just put it in, and she cuts out. I swung around like that, and I dropped about five feet, sheer drop, with that, with that crossbar right on top of me. 
it lands and hits me a good shot. And by the way, my gas mask had swung around behind me. You know about that gas mask. That gas mask had dug me in the in the small of the back. I tell you, it was like I landed on a bowling ball. And I, I bounced twice. And it was at that point I felt my foot hurting. I looked out, and my left climber, when I hit, had gone right through my right shoe. Right between my toes. Punctured the shoe right through the... Right through the top of the shoe, and these are GI shoes, friend, uh, and climbing boots. These are these are like jump boots. Right through the top of the shoe, through the sole. Oh my God! I coulda, I coulda, I coulda crucified myself. I got nails in my feet, just like all those things those cards used to get in Sunday school, you know. And I'm laying, and I pull that thing out, and I and I'm knocked out of the wind, and I can look up to my left, and I see Nash still hanging on the pole with the sergeant hollering. He says, "Now put your belt on you." You fool, you're going to hang out. Get that belt. That's that belt. He's hollering. The wind is blowing. Guys are falling off like leaves of the trees now all around. They're frantic. You know, guys, there's panic has hit the company. <laughs> company B of the pole line construction battalion. It was battalion 15, if you're curious. They're falling off like leaves. I can hear guys yelling and hollering and hitting the ground. Well, I'm laying on the ground, and I make up my mind, this is not for me. This ain't my dish of tea, to put it mildly. And uh, when the wounded had been picked up and uh, the, the disaster had been cleared off, and I'm sitting back in the, in the day room that night, I get up and I walk over out into the company street and I walk down the company street, see? I've got to get out of this. And there ain't no way getting out. I mean, you're in this thing, see? And uh, you just couldn't go down, you know, to the uh, to the uh, orderly room and say, "Say, uh, Sergeant, I've been thinking over. I quit. This this is ridiculous. I I quit this stuff." <laughs> I mean, it, it doesn't work like that, does it? Do you agree? So, but there are ways to do it. Ways to do it. Now, I happen to have a friend, and this is the most inva- most invaluable friend you can have, friends. If you have a clerk who works down in battalion personnel. That can help you more than having an uncle who's a lieutenant general of the Marines. Believe me. So I go out on the company street, and I walk down the street, see? And I go down to battalion. And there in battalion, working night, he was he was uh, CQ that night. He's my buddy. I walk in. He's sitting there by the desk, and I said, hey, Hal. He said, yeah, what's up? I said, my God, i got to get out of this pole line construction bad. i got to get out of it. And he says to me, he says, well, you know, he says, you know, you're the third guy to come in from, from B Company so far tonight. He says, I'm kind of up against it, man. He says, what, he says, what can you do? And I said, well, I'll tell you what I can do. I says, look, I got, a, I got a high score on my EGT, right? I got a high score anything. I want to apply for school or any kind of school. I got to get out of here. He says, well, there's only one school that I can think of that you might be able to get into. And he says, and it's, it's tough, man, to get into it. And I said, what? He says, well, you can apply for for uh, radar maintenance and, 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 and construction installation. He says, that's a tough school to get into. And I said, Go, oh, give, me the, give me the blank. Give me the blank. Well, I signed up that blank. I'll tell you, I filled that baby out, and I spent the next 60 days in that pole line. Yeah, I, I graduated from the pole line construction. Well, you didn't really graduate from that kind of school. You were kind of spewed out. I, I, I graduated from the pole line construction crew. And I, today, to this very day, I can splice with the best of a man out of desperation. 
I could climb up to a pole because you learn that. You either learn it or you, or you die, you know. I learned how to climb poles. I learned how to put those crossbars and those insulators on. And all the lots, i got to get out of this. I could imagine myself doing this as a career, you know. Two days after the pole line construction was through, my orders came through battalion. It was like I had died and woke up in heaven. And now I'm sitting with 36 guys thousands of miles away in a classroom. And this officer is walking around up in front of us. And he had a precise way of speaking. He was a major. And he said, We have no time here in this Sigma Corps establishment for those who do not wish to work. I'm going to warn all of you. Any of you flunk out of this school and you are going right back to the unit you come from. Now, if you've got any questions, I'll be glad to answer them after class. But we're going to start out now with mathematics. But remember, if you flunk out, you go back to the unit you come from. Oh, my God. Never in my life have I had such motivation. <laughs> I'll tell you, I was motivated. I'll tell you, you're listening to a guy who, who, who completed a course in differential equations in seven minutes with flying colors, flags, up the top of my head. And we struggled for eight months in that school working with equipment which, by any standards, is some of the most sophisticated and complex equipment in the world. That was just the basic primary school. By the time we reached the end of the first eight-month phase, out of the 36, 12 were left. And God, they were breathing down my neck. We had a week vacation. I come back, and now we're in the final, the final school, the final four months. And the officer says, out of the out of the class here, we've got now a total class, over 117, that included all the other classes. We intend to graduate 40. There will be no more. I mean, they told you how many they were going to flunk. They didn't say, if you do well, you may pass. They said, X numbers are going to flunk, X numbers are going to pass. Which would be, oh my God. Four months later... 39 other guys and myself sat in an army theater when we received our MOS and we were graduated from the School of Radar Maintenance High-Level Ultra-High-Wave Frequency Schools and Techniques. And I'll never forget sitting there in that crowd and hearing that major say things like, well, we'd like to congratulate all of you. There's no telling where you're going to go from now, here. No telling what's going to happen. But you're all expert radar men now. So, however, I'm going to tell you one little thing. Immediately following graduation, you're going to all have to go through basic signal course training again. We're going to start out with pole line construction. What's pole line construction? Of course, by that time, Kind of good the, the old pole lines that to get back climb up those poles. I was the only one in the class that knew how to do it. All the other guys came from things like uh, you know uh, repair of 
typewriter schools and stuff like that. But there are some graduations that mean more than others, friends. And you know, you keep that MOS, right? For the rest of your life. Never take it away from you. Just like a BA or an MS. I have seven MOS. <laughs> I'll tell you the other six some night.